You're listening to episode 45 of the Journey to Launch podcast, How to Be a Financial Grown-Up with Bobby Rebel. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. This is episode 45. And before we get into what I'm going to talk about and who my special guest is, who is Bobby Rebel, wanted to just mention how you can support the podcast if you're enjoying it. And if you're a new listener, keep listening. I'm sure you'll like it. Just give it a chance. And also how to connect with me more. So if you listen to this podcast and Apple Podcasts and you like it, please rate, review, and subscribe on that purple app on your phone. It really helps me know that you guys care enough to take the time out to leave a review. And it helps with just social proof. So when people find the podcast and they're looking at reviews and they see, wow, this podcast has a good amount of reviews and they're genuine reviews, they're not paid for, they are by real listeners and journeyers. It's just helpful. Also to follow me, on social media if you want to connect more. So this is the month that I gave birth to my third baby. So actually I am taking it a bit easy. So right now, like you're listening to pre-recorded intros and outros because I wanted to make sure I had enough content to keep you guys going until I really got really back active. But really, if you want to see what's going on, if if I really post any pictures in real time, go to social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Journey to Launch. Can't promise that I'm posting a lot there, (laughs) but you never know. So follow me there if you want to learn more. And the private Facebook community is always open. Go to journeytolaunch.com slash community to join, meet some journeyers, connect with me. So on to Bobby, Bobby Rebel, who she is and why you need to know about her work. Bobby Rebel is a certified financial planner and host of the Financial Grown-Up Podcast. What I love about her podcast is that it's short and sweet. Episodes are typically under 15 minutes where she's talking to thought leaders in personal finance and other role models who are sharing life-changing, inspiring money stories and advice. She's also the best-selling author of a book called How to Be a Financial Grown-Up and where she interviewed and talked to people who were just telling their relatable advice and similar to her podcast, just giving you tips and nuggets on how to live your best life with your finances. Bobby is also an award-winning TV anchor and personal finance columnist, and really her videos and her broadcast can be seen online on channels all around the world. Now you're here a little bit in the episode how Bobby and I actually met. So I won't rehash it too much, but I did want to just take a moment and talk about relationships being a form of currency and not that you need to monetize or think how people can help you or how you can help them all the time. But I had Vicki Robin on a few episodes ago and she talked a lot about just relationships and how important they are. And just in general, I think relationships make or break you as a person. And then if you are really trying to start a business or network. This is key, just meeting and networking with people. And so I met Bobby actually because I was paired with her to be my mentor at FinCon. 
So if you guys don't know, I attended FinCon for the first time last year. And at first I wasn't sure if I should go. I didn't know if I should spend the money to go. It was in Dallas and I was fairly new as a blogger. I don't even think at the time that I made the decision, I had a podcast. <laughs> but after hearing from people who have went or and who are in the FinCon community, I realized that if I really wanted to make this into a legitimate business and to grow my audience and to create better content, like this was the place to be because this is where all the people or most of the people who are in the personal finance space as creators go. And the good thing about FinCon, this sounds like a FinCon commercial, but they did not pay me. I'm really just talking from my heart about it. But one of the things they do is they hook you up with a mentor. So if you're new, I believe they hook you up with a mentor. And if you want to become a mentor, then they hook you up with a mentee. So because I'm pretty new to the game, or it was at least, they hooked me up with Bobby as my mentor. And I don't know really how I was so lucky to to be paired up with her. I know they asked a couple questions about what your goal was and what you wanted to learn. And based on my answers, they selected Bobby. So I reached out to her beforehand to introduce myself via email. And then obviously I made sure that we saw each other at the actual conference, which was amazing in terms of seeing her in person. She was so nice. She had so much information to share. And I really just admired her work. So her work in in media and having a book and just how professional she was. And she's a mom and a wife. And I just really connected a lot with her. And so she is now someone who I definitely look up to now call a friend. And I'm just excited to have her on the podcast. If you want any of the things we talk about, so episode show notes, go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 45. Now let's get into this amazing conversation that I have with Bobby. I hope you enjoy. Hey, journeyers. I'm super, super excited to have a amazing woman on the podcast, Bobby Rabol. Hi, Bobby. How are you? Hey, Jamila. I'm so happy to be here with you. Yeah. And so I want to give the listeners, the journeyers, a little background on how we met before we dive into all this amazing information and just just tips and tools and tactics you just have a knack for. With You're basically calling me a financial nerd, right? Yeah, basically, <laughs> which is why we get along so well. <laughs> but I wanted to give a background on how we met because I think that's super interesting and important and kind of just tells the entire story of where I'm coming from and where I want to be in terms of this personal finance thing. So Bobby and I were matched as mentor and mentee through FinCon. And I think it's an amazing platform for anyone in the personal finance space that creates content that wants to reach people who are interested in personal finance, who are interested in turning this into a business. And so I went for the first time and they have this great program where they match you up with a mentor, depending on if you will sign up to be a mentee. And so I signed up to be a mentee and I said my focus, I wanted it to be media and just visibility. And so I got an email that said, okay, you're going to be paired with Bobby. And honestly, I had to look you up, Bobby, because I was like, okay, first of all, her name is so cool. <laughs> Thank you. I've actually been asked if I made it up. It is real. It is real. Yeah. And it's Rebel, right? Rebel is my real name. Although I, I am married to somebody with a different last name. So I did legally change my name, but I use Rebel for work. No, Rebel is such a bad ass name. I didn't feel that way growing up when they would say Rebel, Rebel, but I own it now. It's okay. 
So I looked you up and I was like, wow, this is a blessing that I was paired with you. And then we happened to be at the same dinner together at FinCon and we just connected. So we met for coffee. We connected in Dallas. So that's where FinCon was. Right. And I made it my point. I wanted to keep in touch with you. I didn't want to just be a one-time meeting because I knew I could learn so much from you because you have an extensive, extensive career in just media and just overall business and now personal finance. Oh, thank you. I have to interrupt you here because I, I think it's important for people to know that sometimes these mentor-mentee relationships are a little bit lopsided. So I was completely blown away when I started looking you up and seeing <laughs> what you were doing. And I was like, I have to learn from this woman. So I was equally excited to connect with you because you were already doing a lot of things that I was considering at the time. And I was a little bit quiet about things, but I definitely was learning from you right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about one of those things is the podcast that you just yeah. launched. We're going to talk about that. But let's just hop into just a little bit about you because I think your story is fascinating in terms of how you got into this business and how you've grown so much from starting until where you are now. So I was born in New York City, but I really grew up in suburban New Jersey. So I grew up there. I always had jobs growing up. I had my first job at age 15 at a bakery. I had to literally memorize the price of every baked good that they sold. And I wore a yellow polyester uniform that they made me buy, which I still remember. Isn't that horrible when you're making minimum wage? And then they made me pay like $10 for this yellow uniform, which I kind of wish I still had. I would wear it for Halloween or something. But anyway, I always worked or I had internships. And in college, I always wanted to be a journalist or do something in that mode. And in college, I wanted to work in a newsroom and the internships for news did not pay money. Now there are some regulations, so there's not as much intern abuse, but at the time, forget it. You were lucky just to get in the newsroom. So I needed financial support from my parents and my dad was a Wall Street guy and he said, well, I think you should go work on Wall Street. And I said, well, I don't really want to do that. And the compromise that we made was that I would do an internship in the news business, but it would be focused on business news because in his mind, then I would at least be learning about business. And then of course, when I got out of college, I would go work on Wall Street. So it didn't work out the way he expected to, but I did get an internship. It was my third internship, I should say, by the time I made my way up to CNN. But I did get an internship at CNN the summer between my junior and senior year of college. I was a communications major. And I arrived at CNN and I figured out pretty quickly that I wasn't going to be doing a whole lot or learning a whole lot unless I took matters into my own hands because, you know, it was free help. So they had maybe, I don't want to say they had over a dozen interns. Jamila, there was not even a seat to sit in. You just basically had to hover and hope someone would give you something to do or let you write for a show. And you really had to kind of make it on your own within there. And I figured out that if I came in on the overnights, they would need more help and I would probably get to actually do more. And I asked them if they would send a car because obviously you don't want to go at three in the morning to the overnights by yourself. And they did. They agreed to do that. So I became the overnight intern at CNN Business News. And it was a great experience. The anchor of the show that was on, I think, at 6 a.m. was Stuart Varney, who's still doing news. He's on Fox. I'm not sure what time he's on, but he's on Fox. And then the producer was a woman named Maria Bartiromo. So she was great to me. She taught me a lot. And a lot of my writing actually got on the air, which was huge at the time, to leave CNN at the end of that internship and have actual 
clips and things that I could show to get hired was priceless. And then out of college, I ended up getting a job at CNBC. Wow. And that was my big start. That was my big break. We should point out that break, though, it took work, right? You saw an opportunity. You saw a need for services. You saw that the space was crowded in the daytime department. And you said, okay, I'm going to do this overnight thing. And it worked out well for you. It did. But think about what's going on here. I mean, I literally, as a volunteer, was coming in at three in the morning for an unpaid job. And people thought I was crazy. But it worked. Mm-hmm. Then Desert talks about also, well, I'm sure we're going to get into this a little bit more, these pockets, these investments that you make, whether it's money or just personal development in your career that you don't see the necessarily immediate return, but you're doing it, you're doing the work and eventually it pays off at some point. Yeah. And a lot of the time, the effort that successful people make is not always so visible. So people ask, how did I write my book? I wrote a book, How to Be a Financial Grown-Up. And people ask, how did you do that? Because I had a very demanding job at Reuters. And at the time that I decided at first to write the book, I was working about 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I was able to peel my hours back and we could talk about how I did that, which is a really good lesson, especially for women. But I had to find time. But I did. I found the time. And I got it done because I found the pockets of time. I was able to think about what was important to me and where I wanted to put my energy. And people don't see that effort. I had so many people tell me, how did I do this book at an overnight success? They just, they thought, how did you create this brand overnight? And I said, no, it was three years, actually. Right. It was three years. Just like you do. It seems like it's quick to outside people, but the amount of work that it takes in the background and late nights, it's unbelievable. I'm glad you brought up your book because the financial grown up, can you explain that concept of what that means and what the concept of your book is for people who have not picked it up yet? Sure. Well, the general concept of a financial grown-up is someone that is making decisions on purpose, deliberately, and with thought behind them. And that's the most important personal finance tip in general that I give people, is that make a deliberate decision. If you don't make a deliberate decision, that decision is being made for you, and you're just in denial. So for example, you may say, I am not ready to decide whether to buy or rent, so you continue renting. Well, you've decided to rent, actually. Mm -hmm. So that's your default decision, whatever it may be. So it's important that whatever your decision is, if you think you're going to get around to investing when your student loans are paid off, well, you've decided not to invest, let's say, for retirement. Mm -hmm. And just own that. Understand that you are making that decision, whatever it is. Right. And I think that's really a good point because I would say for me, it wasn't until I got intentional about the decisions I made with my finances that I really saw growth in terms of how my net worth grew, paying off debt, growing my investment account, I had to become intentional and aware of what was going on. In your book, you got to talk to a lot of successful people, famous people about their financial grown-up stories. And so I wanted to pull some of that out because I think it's interesting to know that, yes, we all are quote-unquote regular people, right? We are striving to be our best and greatest. And so you see these celebrities or these stars or people who are very successful and they have money issues too. So first, let's just be clear that money doesn't solve your problems, right? Oh, no. There are rich people with a lot of problems, <laughs> but that it's good to just tease out like what these people have learned on their way, what failures they had to kind of encourage all of us to apply those wins or lessons in our life. Right. So the book is kind of a play off those cooking books where moms want to sneak broccoli into the brownies. 
that's what I was thinking when I wrote it. I said, how can I get people that don't think they want to read about personal finance to be lured in and start paying attention in a way that felt accessible and unintimidating and maybe would make them smile a little bit? So the idea originally was to have each of 10 chapters lead off with a celebrity anecdote. Celebrity in our world could be a celebrity like a Drew Barrymore, but it could also be the CEO of Macy's, who I also had in the book. So that's how I sort of defined celebrities, people that were successful in life and in business. First of all, I got a lot more yeses than I expected. It's not that it wasn't hard to get the right people in the book, but I thought that it would be harder, if that makes sense. I got more yeses than I thought I would. And then the stories took on a life of their own. And so instead of having these 10 chapters that I had in my head going into the book, I had a pile of stories and I ended up writing around the stories. So that was a really interesting thing with the book is that the stories ended up driving the financial advice. So for example, I interviewed someone from NerdWallet, Tim Chen, and he talked about how overwhelming it was to decide what kind of credit card to get. So that was a perfect vehicle into discussing anything related to credit cards. So that's kind of how the book evolved, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted to talk a bit about what you thought interesting grown-up stories were from people because I think that would be pretty cool to just kind of go through some of that. So what were some of the, your favorite stories? So one of my favorite stories was the designer, Cynthia Rowley, who was not ready to debut a collection but ran into a department store buyer by accident in the city. And suddenly she had to rise to the occasion and put together a collection of clothing basically over a weekend. And she was so unprepared that she didn't have numbers on the clothing. She arrived for this showing with her clothing in like a competitor of the person that could potentially buy the clothing in their bag. So it would be like if you were pitching to Bloomingdale's and you arrived with Nordstrom bags. But yet, Cynthia Rowley has been a huge success and that's because she still got it together and made it happen when, I mean, literally this person came up to her on the subway and was like, I like what you're wearing. Where's it from? And she was like, it was mine. I designed it. So that was a great story into just being ready. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, be ready. You never know when that moment's going to strike. And it's not that you can't be methodical and do things in the time span that it needs to be correct. But if your big break comes, get ready, make it happen. So I thought that was a really cool story. And you also talked about Drew Barrymore's story. Can you talk a little bit about that? So I'm a huge Drew Barrymore fan, much more so now that I know more about her. I met her by accident. She was at a press event. And I was so impressed with her that I went to her people and said, can I grab just a couple minutes to ask her literally the two questions for this book? Please, 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 please. And they were so gracious. And by the way, she's surrounded by a really lovely team of people. And I was able to grab a few minutes with her. And she told me the story of getting financial advice at age seven from Steven Spielberg, who basically told her not to sell out. There were all these companies that wanted to brand with her. And she was the child of a single mom. There's a feeling that because her grandfather was a famous actor, John Barrymore, that she was by definition really wealthy and had no financial needs. But that is so far from the truth. She was basically supporting the single mom who she's talked about publicly was not the most responsible parent. She was, I don't know what the technical term was, but she was basically independent by age 14. And in fact, had a number of just regular jobs like waitressing. I mean, she really did it herself. She brought herself up and got back into acting after having kind of a involuntary break. And eventually now she owns her own production company. And what I had seen her talking about was 
her makeup business, which is at Walmart. So she's really built an empire, not just in the movie business, but even in the consumer business, completely on her own. I mean, she really came from, financially speaking, nothing and truly created that by always owning her own brand, her own name, and not kind of just selling out to the first bidder when she was a child. She really kept her own sense of self and her own image. She didn't just kind of say, okay, I'm going to go for the cheap money, the easy money and do that. And she said to me, she said, I really could have used that money. We really needed the money. Right. So in the last, both the last two stories, they're really showed women taking charge of their finances and growing empires. I think that Drew Barrymore in that story talks a lot about just owning it and being true to herself. Mm -hmm. Now, you also had Tony Robbins, a Tony Robbins story in there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. And in fact, Tony Robbins contributed the foreword to the book. So that was a really nice bonus at the end. And I am a huge fan. This is interesting. Part of what motivated me to write this book is that I'm a big audiobook fan. And I had been listening, although now I'm actually moving to paper books more. But anyway, I listened to Tony Robbins on audio, Awaken the Giant Within. I don't know. Have you listened to that? Yes. Do you know that book? Okay. Mm -hmm. So he talks about him being in this tiny, tiny, maybe 400 square foot studio apartment, being grossly overweight. I believe he was working as a janitor at the time. And he just decided to have a different life. He just decided. And I thought about how am I going to do this? How am I going to go? I'm a mom of three kids at home. I have a husband, I have a dog that's the cutest thing ever, and I have a lot of other responsibilities, including a really high-profile job that was taking so much of my time. And I just decided with Tony's voice in my head that I was going to write this book. And then I made a list of who I wanted to be in the book, and he was number one. So it was truly a dream come true when he was in the book. And the story that he tells is just about his childhood and how he, as I said, just decided he wanted a different life, his family did not have enough food, and now he has really dedicated his life to raising money to buy meals for people that literally don't have enough food, which is shocking to believe in this world that that happens, especially in America, but it does happen. And so that's really Tony's mission in life. He gives millions to that. Right. And I want to talk a little bit about this whole deciding to be different and deciding to not repeat any generational issues or generational gaps, whether it's finances or your mental state that we sometimes inherit, right? Yeah. Sometimes if that's all you grow up and see. And I love the idea that like, look at a Tony Robbins and where he is now, but he just decided it was a switch of his mental capacity. It was a switch of his effort that he was not going to focus on his current circumstance He was going to identify with something bigger and different. And I think that's actually a really helpful and inspiring story for anyone, no matter where you are. And I want to just preface, we are all at different points in our journey. So whether that is, you know, you do have a high profile job like yourself, right? You still had dreams and aspirations for more. And even someone like me, right? Someone could look at me and be like, well, you have a really great job and you have a lot going on. Like you should be fine. You worked for everything, though. I think that's also important to acknowledge that I have friends that have not been as successful as they want to be. But when you really get down to it, they've been talking about doing something, but they don't do. They talk about. Literally, I have for a decade, I have a friend. I'm doing this. I'm writing a book. Someone said to me last winter, a couple months after the book came out, they said, wow, you're a finisher. And I said, what do you mean? They're like, you finished the book. They said, not to cut you down, but you know, no one knows. Everyone says they're writing a book. You sit there, you said you were writing a book, and then a book came out and it was in Barnes and Noble and it was on Amazon and it was a book. Mm -hmm. And people just don't finish a lot of the time. They talk about stuff and it's really important 
to decide and then to keep going. I was really impressed with you. You committed to this podcast. And I know there are days when you just are tired, but you committed and you do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it takes. So when people are talking about reaching financial freedom and getting out of debt and building their wealth, it's going to take work. You know, it's going to take action. Like you said, first you have to decide, then you have to put that work in to get it done. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I didn't tell people how I found the time. So originally, so my hours at Reuters, in theory, what I was working was 6am to 6pm. And what was happening is that because I was in charge of my division, there was a call from London at 7am that I felt I should be on because I was the team leader for a business video in the US. But in theory, I was also in the union and we were supposed to work eight hour days. So I was getting up at six. So I would be prepared to present what I thought the United States coverage should be. And then the call was at probably, let's say seven. And then I would raise, drop my son at school. And then I would go on to quote work at eight, eight thirty because I had to get a jump on things because I just had so much to do. And I just made a decision that the union was an eight hour job. That's what they required. It's supposed to be eight hours with lunch. And I said, you know what? I'm not being rewarded for this. I'm just driving myself into the ground with exhaustion. I'm not working on things that matter to me. I'd been there 13 years. So they knew my quality of work and all that. It wasn't a question of proving myself. I said, I have a deputy. I have a number two. He works the earlier shift. I'm going to deputize him. I'm going to delegate and I'm going to let go of control, which is a really hard thing to do sometimes, especially if you're in charge to let someone do it. And I just said, okay, you're in charge to my number two. And I let him take over. And it was hard because I was kind of losing the FaceTime with London, but metaphorically, because obviously it was a phone, but I let it go. And then I realized that I was only being paid for a seven hour day. And I never got lunch because in the news business, you don't get lunch. And I said, okay, I'm going to work 11 to six and see if anyone notices. And when people asked, I just said, my hours are with no apologies. Oh, my hours are 11 to six. You know, let me know what time you want to meet. And that was it. And so suddenly I opened up all this time in my day. Basically you created that time. Oh, then the other thing is I figured out what is the earliest drop-off allowed? And this is important for moms. Know the earliest drop-off, know the latest drop-off and pick the one that works to your advantage. So I said, okay, what's the earliest drop-off? Well, that brought me another 20 minutes every day. So I would drop my son off at a school the earliest possible time. And then I didn't have to be at work now till 11 because I had pushed back and no one really, to their credit, no one fought me on it. They just said, okay, that's true. It's a seven hour day. Fine. And I just created that time from let's say 7.20 in the morning until maybe 10.30 AM because I didn't have to be at work till 11. So that was a nice chunk of time every day to work on my stuff. And it was invisible time. My family didn't miss me. Right. No one was missing out that I really cared about. And there were also a lot of nights. We live across the street from a Whole Foods. And Whole Foods is really good. (laughs) They're going to hate me for saying this. But they have really nice big formica tables. They have really horrible lighting. But it keeps you awake and motivated. And they have outlets. So I would go to Whole Foods and work after my son went to bed. Mm -hmm. So that I would focus. So when you were talking, just as being a mom too... I know sometimes you get that mom guilt. So did you ever feel that like, okay, wow, like I'm dropping him off earlier to be able to do this work. How did you reconcile if you had any mom guilt about doing that? Or did you realize that this is what you needed to do for the greater good of yourself and for your family? Well, I don't know that I felt mom guilt about 20 minutes. I think I felt mom proud that I was the one dropping him off, not a nanny. Mm, Okay. So that was okay. Although nannies are great too. My philosophy with attending school events, and I try to attend as much as possible, is the most important thing is someone that loves your child is there. Mm. It doesn't have to be you always. And someone that loves them is there to cheer them on. So I was happy that I was the one bringing him. 
because there was a lot of times when I was working so much that I wasn't the one bringing him. So I thought that was actually a victory. Right. But in terms of feeling guilty, I used to feel tremendous guilt. And then one day when he was about six or seven, he came into work with me. And I cannot tell you, Jamila, the pride. He walked around going, I'm Bobby's son. She's the anchor. And he sat in the control room and he got to come into the studio and read the teleprompter. And we took pictures and he went more than once, obviously. But especially if you have a job that's tangible where your child can understand what you do, let them know where you are. And that brings them so much joy. I mean, my favorite picture ever in my whole life, I think, is of my son in Barnes and Noble pointing to my book because he was so proud of me to see mom's book right on the shelf. Right. And so that extra work, that sacrifice, it all pays off. Right. And to remember, I was going off to Whole Foods after he went to bed to go work, to sit at the tables. Sometimes I'd go to Starbucks, but Starbucks, not always the best work. They make you buy things all the time. <laughs> yeah. Whole Foods, this is terrible. They're going to hate me at Whole Foods. They actually don't even know if you buy anything, but you could literally buy a bottle of water and go up to the little sitting area near me. They wouldn't even notice if you just went up the stairs. Yeah. If you just went, they wouldn't even notice. Nobody bothers you. Starbucks, yeah, you could buy just a coffee, like a plain coffee. That's not that much, but also not as reliable to get a chair, not as reliable with the power outlets. Mm -hmm. And also I was more likely to run into someone that I knew. I really needed to be head down. I would wear baseball hats. I was incognito because I was really determined. I mean, I look back and I think, wow, I can't believe I pulled this off at the time because now my stepchildren are much older. I mean, it's only been three years, but still, one's in college, one's about to go to college. So now it would almost be easier. Mm -hmm, to get all that done. Right. And I think what's also really cool about your story is you have such a great career, such a great track record with all the media outlets and what you've been able to accomplish, but you wanted more for yourself. You wanted to do something different. And so you did end up leaving, right? Right. I wanted different more than I wanted more, I would say. I wanted different because what happened was, I don't want to say I fell into being on camera. It was very clear to me early on that to be paid more and to get more credit, you want it to be on camera, not behind the scenes for me. So I was doing that. But most of the business news that's on camera is the stock market coverage. And we're recording this at a tricky time for the stock market. So I don't know that I want to dwell too much on it. But it's a lot of asking the same questions to the same kind of people and getting the same kind of answers. And it was a long run of that. I really enjoyed it. I got to report live from the New York Stock Exchange all over the world. I traveled to conferences. I interviewed gosh, hundreds and hundreds, probably over a thousand CEOs, everyone from Larry Ellison, Bill Gates. I mean, you name it, I've interviewed them. So that was great. But I originally started out wanting to do personal finance. And in fact, in my twenties, I took the classes to become a certified financial planner because that's what I thought I would focus my career on. But I had been kind of pushed into the stock market because that's what was big on television. So I wanted to get back to personal finance and to doing some kind of content that I thought would have more impact. Right. And so now you're having that impact. You have launched a podcast, right? Yes. So tell everyone a little bit about that, because I also want to talk a little bit about since you have such like a depth of experience with business and now personal finance, just some of your top tips, specifically with personal finance. I know we've been talking a lot just about your growth and business, but what about the personal finance tips that you gathered and learned along the way you can share with my listeners? Well, I love the most basic tangible tips. I think we do a lot of these sort of pie in the sky things like in a perfect world, we should save 18.5 now in our 401ks 
and all of that stuff. And I was actually with dinner um, with a friend of mine who's also a mom with kids. And we were joking about the fact that that's a ridiculous number for most people, especially if you're starting out. So I think that a lot of the personal finance tips can be a little bit judgy and unforgiving when we talk about people aren't going to always have an emergency fund for nine months and they're not always going to be able to pay off their credit cards. And by the way, the credit card debt is not always because you did something really irresponsible. I heard a story recently from somebody who had to have out of the blue, like $26,000 of dental work. What are you supposed to do? Are you really supposed to delay that so you can afford it? Is it a want or a need to eat? I mean, we do a lot of blaming. So I really like to focus on things that are immediate payoff. So when you go shopping, if you go shopping, which I don't do a ton of shopping, but if you're in a store and you like something that's full price, chat up the salesperson. I have really high success if you build a relationship just saying, hey, I noticed this isn't on sale, but I really want to give you the business. Can you do anything for me? Especially if it's like a boutique or owner, you know, a small store where the person has control over the pricing, you'll usually get a better deal. Right. Just asking. Mm hmm. Oh my God, asking. I mean, even just thinking about the time of day, if you have a favorite place with perishable food, like a bakery, not that I would know anything about this, but if you go to some place, let's say a donut shop and you go at 4 p.m., okay, it's past their prime, they've got a lot of inventory that's expiring and hopefully they give it to charity in some form. But very often, you can even ask, sometimes they'll just give you more, but you can just say, oh, do you have a two for one special after 4 p.m.? And very often they'll just like smile and give you two. <laughs> I'm telling you, people try it. I mean, even if you say, oh, is there a discount for people that work in the neighborhood? Mm, right. They'll give you 10%, right? Or is it there a discount for people who live in the neighborhood, who work in the neighborhood? You can, you can say, I don't live in the neighborhood. I don't work here, but I love the neighborhood. Is there a discount for people that love the neighborhood? <laughs> <laughs> you get 10%, I'm telling you. And with a smile, it's great. Mm, you just never know. I think those things are the best things. No, I think actually that's great. I think because it's also coming from a place of not everyone is going to be super frugal and able to just cut expenses right away. So if you do enjoy going to eat or if you do enjoy shopping, yes, you can put a limit and maybe some structure on how much you do. But there are ways to save within those budget line items also. Absolutely. And hand-me-downs aren't just for children. I mean, I just bought something off The Real Real. Do you know what that is? No, I've never heard of it. Okay, so The Real Real, and I have no affiliation with them, they buy and sell designer goods. So I had my eye on a jacket that was a designer jacket, and you can buy it used, and it says very clearly what condition it's in, and you will get a steep discount. Okay. They even have stuff that's new there, but somebody bought it, and they can't return it for whatever reason. So you could buy whatever, fancy shoes or a fancy handbag. And you could even buy, there's a category items with tags. Mm -hmm. So no one has ever used it, but for whatever reason, they can't return it. You can buy it at a huge discount. Right. And again, that speaks to if shopping is your thing, it's not saying you have to totally give it up, but you can find other ways to save or go about it smart. Absolutely. And even if, if it's a place that has coupons and you didn't bring coupons, just say, oh my gosh, I forgot my coupons. Do you have any back there? Mm, right. And don't assume that a coupon that expired is not going to be valid. Very often they have wiggle room with that. And if you just say nicely, oh my goodness, I took the wrong one. I took the one that's expired. I love the store. I really want this item. I don't want to have to come back. Can you please just give me the discount? And they will. Oh my gosh. I feel like I need to take you with me whenever I go shopping or <laughs> need to negotiate something. <laughs> Everything's negotiable. I mean, if you don't like the bill from the doctor let's say you haven't met your deductible yet or whatever, ask them, just say, do you have any wiggle room on this? Right. You can, 
believe it or not. Or if it's something where you're in a pickle, like for example, I talked about the friend that had this $26,000 of dental work that you can't put that off. It's happening. So you could just say to them, look, I don't want to put it on a credit card because then I'm going to be paying interest on it. And you don't want me to put it on a credit card because you're going to lose probably 3%, right? Mm -hmm. So why don't we do this? Let's just make a payment plan, right? So I'm not going to be in debt at all. I'm going to have a payment plan. You know, you're going to get the money. You know, you're not going to pay 3% and we're good. And it always works. Mm. These are excellent tips. I like these. So I really think it's important to just go through your everyday life and really think about those things. Your listeners are educated. They know that they should have the emergency fund. They know that they should not have credit card debt. They know they should have a plan to pay down student debt, avalanche method, the snowball method, all that stuff. But it's the everyday. Mm. And it makes life a little more fun too. You're laughing. so Yeah. <laughs> no, this is excellent. And I wanted to touch on your podcast. So where can people not only find the podcast, but just find more about you? Oh, thank you. Well, the best place to start is just my website, which is bobbyrebell.com, B-O-B-B-I-R-E-B-E-L-L.com. From there, obviously, there's just a button that says podcast. That's the easiest way. But it's everywhere that podcasts are. It's called Financial Grown Up with Bobby Rebell. I have an amazing guest lineup, including you. Yay. But let me tell you a little bit. So the format is similar to the book where I get stories from the financial grownups that I interview. So for example, the first week I have David Bach, who wrote tons of books, including The Automatic Millionaire. He's the guy that came up with The Latte Factor. I have Kevin O'Leary coming on. He's from Shark Tank. A lot of people know him as Mr. Wonderful. I have Rebecca Jarvis from ABC News is coming on. Tiffany Dufu is coming on. She wrote the book, Drop the Ball. Jean Chatsky is coming on. Farnoosh Tarabi. Great lineup. I'm really excited. And of course, you. Yay. (laughs) No, and I love your format too. It's a nice, short, but straight to the point podcast. So I think my listeners are going to really get a lot from not only this interview, but if they follow you and just like read up on all the stuff you're doing. So thank you once again, Bobby, for coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom and your experience. Thank you. I really hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Bobby. Bobby, thanks so much again for coming on the podcast and being such a great person in general. Now, if you want to connect more with Bobby, you should definitely check out her podcast, Financial Grown Up. Also, I was on episode seven. If you want to check that out, I was talking about me buying my first apartment in Dumbo, Brooklyn, right out of college. So check out that episode and just all her episodes. If you want any of the episode show notes, go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 45. Once again, thanks so much for listening. You know, you guys keep me going. It's your feedback. It's your encouragement. It's the fact that you're learning and you are enjoying this and that you share that you're enjoying this with me. That really helps me know I am on the right track. So please continue to do that. Your support does not go unnoticed. Remember to leave a review if you listen to this podcast and Apple podcast. Also continue to share it out with your family and friends. So on your social media, tag me. So if you want me to see it, tag me and, you know, share it, share it with your coworkers, your friends, your family, anyone, you know, that needs to hear this message and who, you know, would benefit from it. And remember also, I am launching a membership program soon. And so if you want to get on that list, be the first to be notified when the doors open, go to journeytolaunch.com slash membership. It's going to be a monthly membership program where you can get tools, resources, masterclasses, so technical episodes that you listen to on this show. So 
We had an HSA episode. We had a student loan debt episode. We had a legal episode. So just things that are great to hear on a podcast, but you need to dig deeper down and maybe have some workbooks and hear it in a class setting with a teacher. You definitely want to make sure you are on this list because you get to learn more about what this membership is all about and how it can help you. All right, journeyers, until next week, keep on journeying. (laughs) 